It's Roderick's Holiday Rendezvous, a very special episode of the occasionally unprepared, mostly semi-weekly, creative and conversational sandbox hosted by Seattle writer, musician, and retired senator John Roderick. In this episode, a special holiday variety show spectacular, with special guests Ken Jennings, Stephanie Drury, Jason Finn, Matt Bishop, Molly Lewis with the Sugar Plum Elves, and John Roderick as Santa. All that and more on Roderick's Holiday Rendezvous. This is a song that uh, I, I only know a few Christmas songs, and uh, particularly, thank you, that's much better. Uh, particularly given the events in the news lately, this is a song uh, with very questionable subject matter. Um, but it's the only Christmas song I know. And I've never played it on the piano. Happy holidays. I can already see some of the people who have never been to this show going like, we paid 20 how many dollars for this? <clears throat> I don't even know the chord. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Treetops glisten and children listen to hear sleigh bells in the snow. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas with every Christmas card I.
Thank you so much. Uh, normally at this point in the show, I would have a lengthy monologue that I would be uh, extemporizing that would uh, veer off into uncomfortable themes and reveal me to be uh, a middle-aged man steeped in white privilege, <laughs> barely uh, with the self-reflection enough to recognize when he puts his own foot in his mouth. And you would laugh and applaud. But tonight, we have so many wonderful uh, guests and episodes that I'm going to truncate uh, my sort of egotistical uh, marinating in my own thoughts and begin bringing out guests right away. So the first guest that we invited who actually arrived for our second show was a good friend of mine, and we're going to have him out on the stage now, uh, Presidents of the United States of America drummer Jason Finn. Welcome to the show. I'm wired for sound, so when you pat me, I'm actually a drum. Go ahead, do it again. Uh, Jason, thank you for coming. Uh, how's your Christmas holiday going so far? Um, I got to bust out the smoking jacket. That's pretty rare. This thing's been around since my bartending days. You might remember. Uh, I do. You used to 90s. fill that jacket out a little bit better, didn't I, you? I filled it up completely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with, with about, yeah, like two-thirds me and one-third Widmer Hefeweiss, which was an uh, exotic yeah. thing at the time. I remember your bartending uh, 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 sort of scheme being like two for you, one for me, two for you, one for me. Yes, but they were schooners, so, so they were, um, uh, you, you know, in theory, you could kind of keep it going until 11-ish when, uh, when the door guy would take over. <laughs> just cruise <laughs> off into the that, was the, uh, that was the way Peter Buck used to get his, uh, he would get one pint glass full of wine, right, and he'd go up to the bar and just say, top it off? This, yeah. this, this is at the crocodile, yeah, this is, this is, uh, this is talked about a lot, and, and, and it's, it's definitely true, and uh, he, see, he had some special red wine, like, is there a, there's like a stronger type, not, I'm not talking about port, but like there's a, you know, like a 12%, like red are, are wine. Are there any, would, any sommeliers right? in the house? You know what I'm talking about, a super Tuscan or something? Yeah, so, so you'd have that under the thing and they all need to get that form. We're just piling on to the guy. He's only got <laughs> in Portland. I know, God. I know, I feel bad. I know. Listen, forget that we said anything about Peter Buck. Honestly, salt of the earth, yeah. 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 He's a great guy and, yeah. and that, that, was a, that was, I don't know why I brought that it up. Was it was out of line. It was totally out of line. It was the white privilege. Yeah, let's go back to your drinking problem and leave Peter Buck out of it. Mine is, uh, mine is solid, yeah. Yeah, 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 right. No, you maintain it pretty well. Uh, you know, uh, actually, one week from today is my 20-year sober anniversary. That's a big uh, uh, key fob. That is, that's that. right. They, that's yeah, they give you, you, you actually, actually yeah, yeah, they give you yeah. a whole set of, uh, of watch fobs and rings. I'm not to make anyone uncomfortable in the room if you want to poison yourselves with alcohol. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was, I was commenting backstage that I never, ever, I never performed uh, when I had been drinking. Because when I was drinking, I was never able to put it together enough to do a show. Right, to own an amp and a guitar and everything yeah, right. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I, I, have no, I have no sense of what it's like, like the freedom and the rock and rollness of like, Whee, I'm fucked yeah. up! I tell you, it's overrated. For sure. Um, uh, that might be why you're so good at it or something. Hey! Hey, hey look at that. He knows how to, like, I know how to show. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, so this time a couple of years ago, 
we went in the studio, not actually this time, a couple of months ago. I know where he's going with this. Two yeah. years ago. Yeah. We went into the studio with our good friend, uh, Jonathan Colton, and we made a Christmas album. Yeah. Thank you. And those uh, scattered woos represent uh, almost exactly the number of people who bought the album. <laughs> and we had, a, we had this idea, we had this incredible idea that like Christmas music is so like trite and we're gonna go make a, a new album of all original Christmas songs. And it's gonna just like, people are gonna be singing these songs for generations. Is this the story that gets super sad in a second? Yeah. Oh my God, this is it. <laughs> is everybody sitting? This is awful. And so, and so, uh, so Jonathan was like, well, listen, I, you know, I can marshal my audience of internet people and we'll certainly sell just to them who will buy anything I do. We'll sell probably 15 or 20,000 copies. And I was like, well, I'm going to marshal my rock and roll people and we'll get songs from this Christmas album put in movies and television shows and the Hollywood dollars are just going to come pouring in. Yeah, classic uh, old music industry uh, uh, projections. Yeah. Yes. And it, yeah, felt, yeah. it felt like a real meeting yeah. of the two worlds, like Jonathan's new school internet fans and my old school mafia connections. Like Linkin Park, but good, right? It's like... Yeah. And uh, the record came out, and it was sort of a, it was maybe the first moment that the new internet music uh, community and the old music business agreed on a thing, which was to ignore this album. <laughs> but we're going to play a couple of songs from it for you tonight. Jason played the drums on several of the tracks. Uh, and um, this is one of them. So uh, when we were sitting in the studio trying to think of Christmas songs, I don't know if you've ever sat with a friend and tried to think of 12 Christmas song ideas. Yeah, sure, right. Well, and I would assume that you had. Uh, uh, but after about six uh, songs, you start to run out of ideas. And uh, we, we realized that no one had ever written a song about that magical week between Christmas and New Year's. To me, it's, you know, it's this great week where, uh, where you're not responsible for anything. And so we wrote a song for that week, of course, not realizing that there's, uh, there's almost no merchandising possibility for a song about the week between Christmas and New Year's. Um, and this is, and it's called The Week Between. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Molly Lewis. Yeah! I was waiting for my summons. I'm sorry. <laughs> you weren't waiting for your summons. You came out pre-summons. Were you going to summon me mid-song? I wasn't sure. See, this is another internet versus rock and roll. Uh, yeah. yeah. I should have sent you an email. I know. Gotta, gotta hey, Molly, come to this <laughs> But this is good. This, all this banter is good because I'm trying to remember how the song goes. The wrapping paper's put away Except the bits the cat got hold of Someone comes by to say hello And bring a tin of cookies The mistletoe's not used up yet And the popcorn garlands hold up We secretly hope the snow will last a little while Cousins are on the scene The week between New Year's resolutions In conversation with last year's dreams 
Take a slow ride into town Past empty office buildings Red lights turn green for windblown snow And so we don't mind waiting It's almost time to eat again The first ham sandwich shows up Curling up on the couch to wait until next year In the week between all your drunken uncles and cousins Cousins are on the scene The week between New Year's resolutions In conversation with last year's dreams Still on the scene A week between New Year's resolutions And conversation With last year's dreams Thanks, Molly! guest is a bona fide famous person, a person that I have had the occasion to walk around the town with, and you would be astonished at the number of 65-year-old women who pee themselves when he <laughs> walks into a laundromat or is caught standing waiting for a bus. Please welcome to the stage our good friend and Seattleite, Ken Jennings. <laughs> I told Ken that we were going to do a kind of Carson-esque show where I was Carson and he was Bill Murray or guest. whatever, the guest, and you were Doc Severinsen. I, I'm the great uh, band leader Doc Severinsen, or, or his drummer uh, Bill What's-His-Name. Um, yeah, the drummer Bill What's-His-Name. But then I realized when I got to the stage and I saw the setup that every single talk show in the history of talk shows, the host is on stage left and the audience are raised to the right. We are in the mirror universe from Star Trek. It's everything's reversed. That's why Carson has a beard. Just, just like Spock. And why I'm still alive. <laughs> because I used a Gaia bomb to terraform this planet. Thank you. Thanks, that's all I got. Gaia bomb, good night everybody. <laughs> So, Ken uh, Jennings, you are a bona fide famous person, and you have the enviable position. I think we all probably, in fact, this audience in particular, everyone imagined when they were a kid that they would one day maybe be famous for being the smartest person in America. 
And so for, forever now, you get to be the smartest guy in America. And I think that's fantastic. I don't think that's true, though, because here's why. People don't look at somebody on Jeopardy and think, wow, this guy's like, you know, this guy's like Stephen Hawking, you know. This guy's going to invent an electric car or, you know. Everyone's just like, look at this, look at this jerk. Like, he, he's a know-it-all, you know. Like, it's trivia. We actually call it trivia. We use the same word for unimportant stuff as we do for answering general knowledge questions. Well, true, but there was something... That says something about America. There was something about your mastery, your particular performance, where you had a freakish knowledge of things that, uh, that halfway through your run, it started to get a little scary. And then it started to feel like, like deeply scary, like you were the product of some kind of genetic government program. You know, they, well, here's the thing. They get, if you're a white middle-aged man, they give you the answers. Wait, I am a white middle-aged man. <laughs> they give you the answers. Right, of course, that's how we keep in power. That's... that's <laughs> white privilege rib shots. That's right. Okay, every white privilege reference yeah. for the rest of the show gets a, gets a rib shot. Okay. Because that's how we remind ourselves. That's right. <laughs> That entire six months, you could never say to anyone in the real world what was happening, right? Because they had to keep it a secret. Yeah, they don't air for three months after. So you were living, you were like bubble boy. You had to live in a world where no one knew what was really going on. Like on reality shows, I think it's literally a bubble. Like after you get kicked off on Survivor, you go to some Survivor loser colony somewhere just so nobody knows what, when you came home. But on Jeopardy, uh, it's all very low, low rent. You, you, you fly out there, they do five in an afternoon. What? Yeah, five in a day. So do you, is it, so do, you by know, the time you get to the fifth one, are you pretty tired? Oh man, Fridays, you can just see, ah, uh, you know, your, your feet are tired, your thumb's tired from the buzzer. And, and it's, you know, 10, 10 minute break, Trebek puts on a new tie and bam, you guys, you go back out there. <laughs> so, so I would- This is some white privilege talk. <laughs> oh, my thumb. <laughs> You guys can understand how hard it is. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, they're all like, my mouse hand. <laughs> um, so, so, but now you have, you've, actually, uh, you've actually taken that career and become an author. You've published a, a whole handful of books. You're like making a bid for real, like, human legitimacy. What's... Not like those subhumans who go on Jeopardy. Well, you know what I mean. Like, like people one day are going to say, Ken Jennings, author. They're not. That's the thing. No matter what I do for the rest of my life, it's going to be, oh, that guy in Jeopardy. My grandma hated him, you know? <laughs> like, literally. I could do anything. Really? Yes. I could... Let's run, brainstorm some I things could you streak, could do. <laughs> I could run out and streak the halftime show at the Super Bowl. What, what if it turned out this whole time that you were uh, like a uh, like an agent, like a like a an intelligence agent, and then it was and then like for a foreign power, right? Like what if you what if you were an agent of a foreign power? Then you would be like, we would know you as a as a traitor, as a traitor first. I think traitor trumps all <laughs> other accomplishments, right? What, if, no, you don't think so? It's, I think it might be hyphenated Jeopardy champion hyphen traitor. <laughs> Multi-hyphenated. I think if you betray your, com your country, that goes on the first line of your really? Wikipedia page. Like, how many of these guys can you remember? Like, I can remember, like, Aldrich James. Like, Robert Hansen. Oh, you see, I couldn't remember Hansen. Yeah, well, Hansen was FBI, so nobody cared about him. But you know, he, he was the one that betrayed the country worst of everybody. He's Alger the, Hiss, I guess. Alger Hiss. Really, you're going to go with Alger Hiss? 
the records are out. Like, we know he did it. It would be nice to think that Nixon was just being a dick, but we know that, like, we now know that his was guilty, right? I always, I don't, I don't know if you've ever, uh, I don't know if you know anything about me. Uh, we just met backstage. <laughs> we, we dislike each other deeply. Uh, but, um, yeah, we just, we hate each other on Twitter. But, uh, but I always imagined that one day I would get called into service uh, by the CIA. And I, I thought that there would be some moment, right, where they would just feel like he's got the certain, he's got that combination of qualities that we need to fill this one specific role. And now I'm realizing that it's just not ever going to happen for me. Did you know what that role was? Like, did you have an idea what the mission was? Yeah, I felt like it was retired director of the CIA. <laughs> but that was the job I was best suited for. What do retired directors of the CIA do? A lot of them go out in their canoes and mysteriously drown. <laughs> they go to the park bench around the fountain where they used to throw pigeons and meet with their guy. Uh -huh. But in the brown bag this time, they got a, they got a, a revolver. Saturday yeah, special. some of them get, uh, die in elevator accidents. So that's pretty common going way for, for CIA guys. That's what you were go. going for, suspicious death. I don't know. I just felt like I felt like I could wear that mantle with a lot of dignity. I thought my father-in-law was CIA, for the, I, and I sort of still do. He was uh, he was in the he was in the Commerce Department for a long time. So he was an embassy guy. Strike one. Yes, and he lived overseas with his family for I don't know 15, 20 years. East Germany. Very suspicious. Uh, Hong Kong, you know. So East Germany, China beat. Um, and here's the thing: he was Mormon. And the intelligence community is just full of Mormons. I don't know if you guys know this, because they, uh, they take they direction drink, they well, don't they don't drink, they're impossible to blackmail. They just love, they, they love America, they love following orders, and they, they have no hookers, in the, dead hookers in the closet, you know? <laughs> intelligence community is like disproportionately Mormon. And so I was sure he was Mormon. I was just waiting for him to retire and then tell us all the great stories of, you know, being a cold warrior. And to this day, he still insists he was this boring commercial attache, and it just punks the hell out of me, because... Why isn't he telling us? They never tell. They never tell. They can't tell even when they're retired. I have a friend who's uh, I have a friend who is married to a, a gal, and her father was a Russian expert for the State Department throughout the 60s and 70s, and was stationed in Moscow. And he, to this day, persists in acting like a big dingaling. Like it's not just that he won't talk; it's that he continues to act like a guy that no one would put any trust in. Maybe that's not, so it's a very deep cover. I think it's super deep cover. It's He's like, I don't know, they never gave me any assignments. I was a Russian expert. And it's like, <laughs> that's genius. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's the false flag or whatever. Yeah. Hire the dumbest guy you can think of and don't make him an agent. But, you know, make and it And then so every, then the, they, I bet he was followed by 30 exactly, guys exactly. all around Moscow. Like, He's got to be doing up to something. He's just like... <laughs> They're like, it's, he's brilliant. You yeah. know, the, so, the Soviets and you know, in the Kremlin, they're like, we can't, we, we trail him everywhere. Wheels just, within wheels. <laughs> <laughs> like, the only vice he has is Twizzlers. <laughs> um, well, why don't we, um, why don't we invite an, uh, uh, our next guest out onto the stage, Miss Molly Lewis. <laughs> oh, she's going to sing first. This song is about pumpkin spice lattes, which I see as the proxy war between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And when they go away, I get bummed out. And I wrote a sad song about it. Rest in peace, pumpkin spice. Another month of your company sure would have been nice. But you've gone underground, and eggnogs come around again. 
it seems that everybody knows that this is just the way that November goes. I think it's rather rude. Pumpkins a Thanksgiving food. Why can't they coexist? And why can't the seasons overlap? Pumpkin, peppermint, and nog can be the three wise men of flavors. So everybody wins and I get an extra month to savor. Normal folks don't think twice, but the time we have together, it just won't suffice. And there is no excuse. It's not like there's real pumpkin juice. Why must you go away? And why doesn't Starbucks understand? After Halloween is over, I could tell your star is dimming, and I have to just accept that you're the McRib, but for women. Scarcity must be what makes me miss you so But I have to face the facts You taste like scented candle wax established artist. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'll take that as a compliment. Welcome to the stage. <laughs> um, and uh, your show that you just performed here three weeks ago was uh, like a fully realized sort of radio play, right? It was. It kind of caught me by surprise because it all happened in like these baby steps. You know, these, like I, I went, well, I should pick a day. Okay, well, the triple door has that day open. Okay, great. I'll put my thumb on that. I should probably invite people. I should probably write songs. I should probably book travel for those people. And then about a week out, I went, oh, crap, it's a real thing. I made a real show happen. And how many songs did you write for the performance? I wrote 11 new songs. Um, and thanks. In about six weeks. And most of them were in my friends' styles. So I had like a Double Clicks song and a Marion Call style song. And uh, Kevin Murphy played Santa Claus, and he got this kind of Brechtian, sort of poor unfortunate souls kind of thing um, as Santa Claus. It was fun. And he said, we were allowed to say fuck exactly once we were not allowed to let children into the show, so I gave it to Santa, as one would. Is that a, is that a rule? If I, you say fuck more than one time, you can't let children into the show? That's kind of the guideline they gave me. Are there any children here? That's, that's, that's what that, a venue? didn't sound like a children. That's like a venue children. guideline? I don't know. They, they asked, like, what's the MPA rating on your show? And I went, ah, PG, It's not a movie. It has no I know. MPAA rating. MPAA rating? Tell, look around you. Can anybody see a child? <laughs> we're asking you to rat out a child. What, what was that? I think if that child is here, though, they're well-seasoned to that kind of language. I, I don't know. There are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of Roderick's Rendezvous uh, uh, frequent uh, flyers that are clearly alcoholic and, uh, and bad parents, and so they might have brought their kids. <laughs> well, the MPAA rating for this show is triple X. <laughs> Must. What did you just Triple X must. 
so boo that it's two yays. It comes in full circle. Yeah. Are there other holiday words that start with an X? I don't know. No. Maybe we should invite our next guest out. There we go. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage uh, Seattle, uh, the founder of the website Stuff Christian Culture Likes and the uh, progenitor of the uh, old Twitter uh, fake Mark Driscoll, among many other internet properties. Please welcome to the stage a friend of Robert's Rendezvous, Stephanie Drury. Well, thank you for having me. So, uh, I, I, uh, I put you on the bill of the show and, and said uh, on the internet, I called you the woman who unseated Mark Driscoll. And then, uh, because I am on the internet sometimes, I went uh, and saw, I went to your corner of the internet and saw that a ton of Christian mansplainers, oh. right? <laughs> Right? Who, who do you want to get stuck in an elevator with for all eternity? Christian mansplainers. No men's rights. Uh, that's right. Not all men. Not all men. We're taking, we're mad at you because I said that you had unseated Mark Driscoll and they didn't feel like you deserved it. Why would that. they put the responsibility on you for saying that? Right, of course. It's your responsibility. This one man said, do you believe you unseated Mark Driscoll? And I said, I didn't say that. John Roderick said it. And he goes, well, did you correct him? I go, that's what we're going to talk about the show Thursday night, motherfucker. Here we are. Sorry, any kids in the room that... Motherfucker. No, we've said a few. Um, so, so I want to personally congratulate you for single-handedly unseating Mark Driscoll. For... for because, because in Seattle for years, we all knew that he was bad, 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 bad. Everybody knew that Not he was all bad. men knew. Not all men knew. <laughs> Some men were, like, uh, were benefiting from his uh, terrible uh, ideology. Several thousands of men. But most of us knew that he, was a, that he was a bad egg. But in true Seattle fashion, we were like, Hmm, oh. boy, that sure isn't really very Seattle of him to be that way. Oh. Sure is too bad. And you were like, this is bullshit. Uh, is that because you're from Texas? I'm originally from Arkansas. I went to college in Texas. I don't know what that means, what that makes me. I am a Southern Baptist preacher's kid, and... I'm Arkansas is technically the Tijuana of Texas. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they, they secretly wish, there's like Canada and the U.S., they secretly wish they were Texas, but they, their identity is being not at all like Texas. Did you just say Canada secretly wishes it was the I, U.S.? I feel, I feel... And some woman is very... <laughs> The, the way they, they're always like, Canada kicks ass. We're, I mean, I feel like all the Canadians I know, they're like, we're not like the U.S. I'm like, could you protest too much? I, that's just the vibe I get. I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just hypothesizing. If I was a guy, I wouldn't get any pushback for that. But, but you feel like Arkansas is, so, is the Canada of Texas. Yes. Yes. That's where I was going with that. So, um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think the fact that I am a preacher's kid is more 
the reason that I wanted to take down a misogynist douche lord pastor, mega church pastor, then being from the South. Now, isn't misogynist douche lord one of the Star Wars Episode Seven characters? Don't talk to me about Star Wars, Star Trek, anything with stars, anything with hobbits. I don't know anything of it. I fall asleep immediately. I haven't seen any of the Star Wars movies. I have not, I can't, I can't stay awake through them. I've tried. They put me right out, and I don't know what to tell you about that, but that's my confession. And Empire Strikes Back? Really? It. Empire it's Strikes Back? I cannot handle it. It's the least, it's like Hobbits, all that Lord of the Rings stuff. I'm like, please, 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 I, I can't understand. <laughs> I know, thank you. I, and, and also, I don't like camping, and I don't like NPR. I know, I know. I, and I don't really like beer that much, but Shinerbach. Those are okay. really interesting things to plant your flag on. I'm just, I, I can't help it. I can't help it. I don't it's like camping, me. I don't no, like no, no. beer, and I don't like Star Trek. I want you to know I've tried to like all these things. I tried like Game of Thrones, and my friend came over me. I was like, what is happening, and why should I care? And he's like, that was just an embarrassment for us all, Stephanie. You're trying to like Game of Thrones. So. so I follow you on Instagram, and it seems like one thing you do like to do is torture your kids for your own amusement. <laughs> is, that, is that like a Southern um, Baptist thing, or is that just, are you just a sociopath? I, I think that's more of a sociopathic thing, or maybe try not to kill them, because I have this thing where I'm like, oh, my daughter is all mad at me and throwing a tantrum because I wouldn't take her to Taco Bell on her way to this thing, so now I'm the asshole. And then I take a selfie where I'm in the foreground, and she's in the backseat freaking out, and I'm just like... It's kind of a survival mechanism. When you say you're a parent, you understand. <clears throat> I am a parent, yeah, and I'm just I'm I'm just making a whole list of stratagem stratagem uh, for um, for outing my daughter as the little asshole that she is. Should, I think that we should build a platform. Are you seriously going? Oh, where parents can say this. Because I don't know how we anyone anyone in this room survived. Like if you're a toddler, I mean, and Kathy Griffin always says, I hate babies because babies are selfish. And I, I'm a parent of two, but I completely agree. It like really tries you. So Can you have two kids? I do. Are they nice? Uh they seem like they're nicer than Stephanie's kids. <laughs> <laughs> But you would attribute that to parenting, right? Good parenting. I've never, I've never met them. Honestly, they, they're just, they're just what they are out of the box. Like my son was like a little mini me, like nerdy, big ears, always reading Guinness Book of World Records, and then my daughter is this little force of nature and to temper tantrum every day, and you know, bless her heart, she's a little, little artiste kind of. You should send her to Jason Finn uh, Rock and Roll Camp. Yeah, we teach the heavy metal here. <laughs> We were sharing backstage that uh, we don't, uh, that there's not enough opportunity in our culture to really say uh, the truth about children, which is that they are uh, monsters. And, thank you. Right? They're terrible and they're not at all sweet. Uh, I like how you think this is a big problem, that there's not enough cruelty to children. <laughs> Please, I'm begging you, like we need a telethon. I do. I, I feel like children, children have been getting away with murder for the last 40 years since we stopped while working them in factories? I actually, I actually think, I, okay, I'm gonna bring it down a tiny bit. I work um, at Harborview in the emergency department and I do risk analysis and I see a lot of child abuse cases. And I just wanna say, I feel like maybe the rate would go down if parents were able to say, my son is a little asshole and didn't feel like they had to internalize that rage and then finally freak out. I don't, just a, just a theory. Oh. I'm glad that you characterized that as bringing it down a little bit. <laughs> I could bring it way down. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to keep it up after my last 
time on here. Um, do you feel like uh, like a little bit of disappointment that that you're in a, in a way your muse um, has like uh, finally like been thwarted? I people were like, "Aren't you so happy?" I think the Seattle Weekly the day he stepped down ran a thing. I mean, like in the caption under the photo was Stephanie Drury is happy, and I'm I'm not fucking happy. Like that guy's gonna come back like Phoenix from the ashes, like immediately. Immediately, he's already talking about megachurch in Southern California or in Texas. He'll be back. I mean, he's like a cockroach. It's just, yeah. He's always going to have support. He's going to have a ton of people. If there are any libel him. attorneys in the audience, I didn't call him a cockroach. Oh, come, come at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, come at me, bro. When I first started at Fake Driscoll, within a week, the Mars Hill legal team contacted me. They, I mean, a church having a legal team, that should tell you a ton. Second of all, they sent me this giant email. It was just like all this legalese, basically saying you're allowed to do this, but you have to make absolutely clear that it's fake. And I just wrote back, I don't know how else more to make it clear than calling it fake Driscoll. And that was the first week of doing it, and here we are seven years later. <laughs> did, they, did, did they understand the, 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 having the word fake in it? Uh, meant that it was fake? Well, I'm a woman, so maybe they could have persuaded me and talked me down a little bit. Uh, and, you know, I can't blame them for trying because that's what they're used to over there. But you already had a husband, so they couldn't line you up with a nice, domineering husband. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the reasons that I stopped going to Mars Hill was they wouldn't... Did you seriously go? They wouldn't line me up with a nice husband. They kept saying stuff like <laughs> That they had some different plan where I was supposed to be the one in charge. I didn't like it. Yeah, John Roderick doesn't like being in charge. Not gay. <laughs> How would you guys like some more musical entertainment? <laughs> so about this time last year, a good friend of mine was having a birthday party, and she wanted the birthday party to be at Doe Bay. And I was like, kind of on the hook to put this birthday party together for her at Dobe. And then she said, oh, and I'd also like Hey Marseille to play at my birthday party at Dobe. And then looked at me like I was some kind of magic uh, worker, which I am. <laughs> and so I called up my friends in Hey Marseille and they came up to Dobe and played my friend's birthday party. And all they wanted was several thousand dollars. <laughs> But now, tonight, no, no, I think the, the theme drumming was perfect. That was very... It was kind of funky, yeah. No, it was good. Is this yeah. the blue? Bullet the blue sky. Bullet the blue. Um, so I would like you to welcome to the stage Mr. Matt Bishop from Hey Marseille. second and let's talk. Um, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. You are a, you're a handsome young man. Thank you. And uh, I like your music very well. Uh, hey Marseille is, uh, is one of Seattle's uh, premier uh, cardigan sweater bands. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, in my experience, I have found you to be a very humorous uh, person who keeps a, a real lid on it. Me? Yeah, like you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. Right, right? He doesn't want that charisma to come pouring out because 
it's uncontrollable. Yeah, he's when seen, the dam breaks. He's seen it happen. He's seen the sort of the like mass impregnation that happens yeah. in a room full of unsuspecting people. Yeah. So, hey, Marseille has a new album. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> um, we, we're about to start recording. Oh, a new good. Album. So you yeah. have one in your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, is it, uh, it going to be a significant departure from uh, Hey Marseille's past work? I, I don't know. You know, you, you make a record and you think you're like moving in a certain direction and then you play it for people and they're like, oh, that's great. It sounds just like everything else. So um, we're hoping, I mean, if the intention is that it would be a departure uh, in, in that we're hoping for, um, well, for those of you who aren't familiar with us, we write seven-minute songs with a lot of accordion and cello solos. Um, and we, we want to do less of that. Yeah, you were... And you we want to make money. Orchestral pop, right? As, as orchestral pop, orchestral which is, pop. yeah, just a, another way to say superfluous instrumentation uh, underlaid with a lot of emotional lyricism, um, etc. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Turns out... <laughs> right? That's the experience... Uh, that's not so much the experience we've had. We've been uh, very, we've, we've done much better than we thought we necessarily, we had no intention to have any success whatsoever. We're, we're that band. Right, that's, um, a, that's the real Seattle style. And right? then it kind of happened, um, and then here we are eight years later and we're making our third record and, and we're hoping for more success. We got, a, we got a taste of it and we said that is not so bad, we want more of that, and uh, so we're making a record. We're flying up a guy from LA, uh, he worked on Kanye records, every record but Yeezus that he's worked on, and uh, he's going to make us a super superstar. So you're thinking you're going to let Kanye ma magic? Uh, fingers crossed. Right. Uh, probably not. Mostly he wants us to just make every song half as long and nothing but hooks, uh, which is what I'm... I think, I guess that's the Kanye magic. Well, that's, right, and yeah. you're, the, you're the music buying public. Would you like mu their music to be half as long and, and all hooks? Yeah, right. There's a woman in the front who's absolutely... Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I love your music, and I especially like, uh, you know, you're a very self-effacing front man. You have, you have some theatrical guys in your band, and you sort of are the, are the calm at the center. Um, are, oh. you, are you prepared to step forward and shake your ass a little bit? Uh, I wouldn't articulate it in that way. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 we started as like kind of the... In like the mid 2000s, the whole folk thing was happening, and Fleet Foxes were big, and uh, feelings were important. And uh, <laughs> so now we uh, are writing less of that, and uh, I don't play acoustic guitar in much of the new songs, oh, wow. and so I have to figure out what to do with my hands. So I've been trying to uh, find other uh, uh, white guys with uh, thinning hair uh, who are the frontmen of bands who do not play acoustic guitars. Uh, and see what they do. So I've been watching a lot of documentaries about... Michael Stipe. Michael Stipe, uh, The National, right. um, that Those LCD sound system yep. documentary. Hair, yep. yeah. uh, One thing I've noticed, here's a, a piece of advice, I never am without my guitar, right? Uh, but I've watched a lot of uh, lead singers, and here's a great move. Singing? Yeah. Right? Singing? And then... <laughs> Just the straight up point. Finger up, and but looking down. It's not like uh -huh. you're like, oh shit. So it's like you're like you're looking down, but you're pointing up. One of my rules is I don't, I can't look down, uh, because I sweat a lot on stage. I sweat it 
I have a genetic problem, I think, um, undiagnosed, but I sweat a lot on stage. Uh, and the thinning hair I referenced is right on the crown. So you Look put down. those stage lights up there. Yeah, I, my posture has improved simply as a result of my insecurity about the both sweat and how that displays my thinning crown. Well, maybe make the move your own and go. Yeah. <laughs> Look to the side. I appreciate that. Yeah. Point up. And then, I mean, I don't I'm know. Is that, take that wait, is that a Jesus thing? Oh, this is yeah. kind of Travolta. Well, maybe it's because I pointed my toes at each other. And don't point your toes. Go like that. <laughs> right? Nobody does that move. Free rock advice from the old guy. All right, are you going to favor it? Ooh. It's warm. I am already sweating. Uh, are you going to favor us with some songs from... Uh, I am, are, yeah. are, are these from your upcoming record? I'm going to play, uh, yeah, one... Uh, I'm going to play a cover, a Christmassy song, if that's cool. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah. As was intimated, I'm, I'm in a band that has um, a lot of emotional instrumentation and uh, a lot of the lyrics are pretty sad, so... Um, this is one of my favorite Christmas songs. It's pretty sad. <laughs> it was Christmas in prison And the food was real good We had turkey and pistols Carved out of wood I dream of her always, even when I don't dream. Her name's on my tongue, her blood's in my stream. Wait a while, eternity. Old Mother Nature's got nothing on me. Come to me, run to me, come to me now. Someone I admire Or a picnic in the rain After a prairie fire Her heart is as big As this whole goddamn jail She's sweeter than saccharine At a drugstore sale Wait a while Eternity Oh mother Nature's got nothing on me Come to me, run to me Stay for a while We're rolling, my sweetheart We're flowing by Light in the big yard swings around with the gun. The spotlights, the snowflakes like dust in the sun. It's Christmas in prison. There'll be music tonight. I'll probably get homesick. I love you. Good night. 
nature's got nothing on me. Come to me, run to me, come to me now. We're rolling, my sweetheart, we're flowing. like to invite back to the stage, if you thought looking at Matt's bottom was worth the gas money that you spent to get down here, just wait for this next part of the show. Please welcome back to the stage, the Sugar Plum Elves. Wonderful. So wonderful. Thank you. We're at the end of the show. At this point in the show, I would, if I were a normal performer, say goodnight and everybody would applaud, presumably. And then, um, I don't know, it'd be the end. Uh, but I'm not a normal performer. So I'm wandering around like a drunk person. <laughs> Seemingly aimless, but with a real purpose. With purpose, yes. With purpose. 
And that purpose is the grand finale song. This song is, uh, was originally a long winter song. And then when Jonathan and I were making our Christmas album, he said, I don't want to split the publishing with anybody else. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just rewrite it then. Take out all the parts that anybody else ever contributed to, to it and then rip them off with the money that they were owed. True show business fashion. Yes. Not getting a lot of laughs for that. Well, you could, uh... That's fucking real talk. You, you didn't think that's what I was saying? Yeah, the 75 ex-members of the Long Winters. <laughs> Yeah, all 75 of them, they can all split the dollar fifty in. That's right. <laughs> Take that one, Nabil. Yeah. Yeah. Sean Nelson. Yeah. He's working for the stranger again. He could use the money. <laughs> I haven't had a drink in 20 years, but I am just a little drunk all the time. All right, so uh, Molly, how confident on a scale of one to 10 are you that this song is gonna go off? I think it's seven. How about you, bassist? Two. <laughs> one dollar, Bob. <laughs> I don't need them. I know this fucking song. I wrote it, yeah. twice. <laughs>
Stephanie Drury. Thank you, Matt Bishop. Thank you, Molly Lewis. Thank you, Jason Finn. Thank you, Bailey McCann. And thank you all, and happy holidays. One Christmas at a time. Big thanks to Ken Jennings, Stephanie Drury, Jason Finn, Matt Bishop, Molly Lewis, and the Sugar Plum Elves for being on the Holiday Show. For more information on Ken Jennings, the winningest Jeopardy contestant ever, go to KenJennings.com. And you should definitely follow Stephanie Drury on Twitter at Stephanie Drury, or go to StuffChristianCultureLikes.com. Jason Finn is obviously the drummer for the band The Presidents of the United States of America. You can find more about them at presidentsrock.com and on Twitter at Jason Finn. Matt Bishop is the singer-songwriter of the great band Hey Marseille. You can hear more of their music, check out their tour dates, or buy a record album at heymarseille.com. Singer-songwriter Molly Lewis is not a celebrity, but she plays one on the internet. Hear more of her songs at sweetafton23.com. And finally... Thanks to the all-singing, all-dancing, all-adorable Seattle Elf Troop, the Sugar Plum Elves. To book them for your own holiday party, visit sugarplumelves.com. All guests of Roderick's Rendezvous receive a mug with John's face on it. To purchase your own, or to purchase tickets to a live recording of the show, go to johnroderick.com. Roderick's Holiday Rendezvous was recorded live inside the venerable Triple Door, the dinner theater, lounge, and music venue in Seattle, Washington. The show is produced by Bailey McCann, Colin Curry, Virginia Roberts, Ben London, and me, Adam Pranica. Additional audio mastering done by Zach Varnell. For more information about John Roderick, his music, writing, or tour dates, visit johnroderick.com. <laughs> <laughs>